We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. This is the Resilient Schools Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. In this podcast, we help schools become resilient, which means that they are able to adapt and overcome any situation that presents itself. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to the uh, Resilient Schools podcast. I am excited to have Dr. Melissa Saden on. She's actually the one who inspired this podcast because we were talking at the um, Attachment Trauma Network conference in Houston earlier this year, and she said we she's going to move away from trauma-sensitive to resilient schools, and I thought that is exactly what we need to be doing. And so, Melissa, thank you for inspiring me to start this. I really appreciate it. It's awesome. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. Uh, I'm happy to chat with you. Well, let me let me give everybody an idea of who you are, because people may not know. Uh, so Dr. Melissa Saden has served as a special education teacher, a gifted education teacher, and a building administrator. Most recently, she served as a director of special education. She has been the vice president of her local school board and is recognized as a master school board member. She has conducted research on perceptions of teachers working to create trauma-informed classrooms. Dr. Saden is a published author and has produced numerous webinars on children with attachment trauma in schools. Currently, Dr. Saden works as Director of Exceptional Education and as an education consultant and developmental trauma expert providing professional development to school districts, municipal service providers, and parents. Nationally, Dr. Saden is a highly sought-after keynote speaker and conference presenter, her trauma guide series of books are available on her website at traumasensitive.com. Now, we could go in a million different directions, Melissa, because there's so much to talk about. But I think what's especially relevant right now is talking about how it feels like there's an exodus from the schools. And you say that you're talking about hope and about people whenever you talk to schools. So break that down for us a little bit more. What are you seeing and what can we do to help make resilient schools? 
Um, it doesn't just feel like there's um, a crisis in this profession that I love so much called education. There's research. Edweek actually just completed a study that they spent an entire year on nationally um, interviewing teachers and having focus groups. And the data is very clear that over half of the teachers as that were, you know, of the tens of thousands of teachers they interviewed are seeking to leave this profession in the next year. They also asked the question of these educators, if we asked you this same question in 2019, would you, were you thinking about leaving the profession? And 56% of the folks interviewed said no. Wow. So it's flipped. Yeah. And so everybody is very, very focused on oh gosh, let's throw this term out right after I use it, learning loss, because we haven't, we haven't lost anything. We have different children in a different environment performing differently, which is not lost. It's just where we are now. Yeah. In any case, so many people want to, and they rename it because now nobody likes that term. So it's like the growth differential Okay, what you're trying to do is create it by the end of this school year, the same outcomes you had at the end of the school year, the year before 2020. And that's inhumane. Mm -hmm. It's inhumane. And we are all doing it to ourselves. School leaders, school district leaders, state education leaders. We're all a part of this hamster wheel that um, is is adding to the fragile nature of our mental health as educators. And by that, I mean your support staff, your paraprofessionals, your custodial staff, your clerical staff, your teachers, your certificated teachers, your counselors, your, your administrators, anyone, aftercare, before care, anyone who works in this profession where we serve other people's children, have jumped on the Hampton wheel. And I have to say to everybody who's listening out there, we're all a part of it. And any one of us can jam a hammer into the gear and say, stop. Well, and that's exactly what happened with the pandemic. We canceled school. We canceled tests. We promoted everybody. We froze grades. We did all these things to tell everybody it's all made up. And now we're panicking because we don't think that it really was made up. And we think that it does actually matter. And the truth is, is that it is all made up from the very beginning. And we have control to say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get back on this hamster wheel and we're going to make better choices for the families we serve. Yes. And the teachers boots on the ground will tell you um, that particularly that first year of the pandemic, where so much learning was remote, they had, they had very different lessons and they were getting the same outcomes they would have gotten except that the content was different. So the outcomes were different. So you ask so many teachers and they will say, when we told particular high school and our middle school kids that we weren't going to grade them, the kids who always did their work continued to do their work. And the kids who uh, were struggling with grades continued to struggle with learning. So building resilient children doesn't happen because you say to them, if you don't do this assignment, you will get an F. Because if I'm a child who's struggling to do the assignment, the F is not my problem. Yep. And the panic of that could, in fact, certainly make me worse. 
resilient kids get fair expectations that that are unique to their needs. Well, one of my favorite sayings is one size fits one. Mm-hmm. And I understand as an administrator myself, the challenge, well, we can't just willy nilly grade everybody on their own standard. Of course not. But if we just talked about learning growth instead of a different grade, we would be helping the children to heal. So, mm-hmm. so many of the things that we did during the pandemic and rightfully so, and that was, that I was proud of us as educators that first year. Mm-hmm. But I think the mistake we've all made, Americans, maybe, if I could be so bold, is, okay, it's over. Let's all get back to, well, if you've ever lost a very dear loved one, you don't get back. Yes. You continue on in a new way. Yeah. And and people have talked about the idea of like a new normal, for example, and what we have to understand is that that that's going to happen regardless. Like we can't do, we can't go back to our old teaching practices and think that it's going to be like it was because it never will be. We've had this huge collective experience that we've all gone through and all reacted to in very different ways. In my family, for example, we grew closer as a family during the pandemic than we had before. It was the best thing in the world that could have happened. It was so freeing. I'm so grateful for it for that reason. But other people had really awful experiences, lost loved ones and really big challenges, lost jobs, everything. And the fact of the matter is that we have to recognize that we experience something and it's going to change how we are going forward. And therefore, we need to change how we approach things. And the thing that I think is really valuable is that I've heard from multiple principals and teachers that the 2021-2022 school year was way more stressful and challenging than anything they had ever experienced before. And that, I think, is partly because everybody thought we were just going to go back to how we were. And then we realized that we've been through all this and there's a lot more going on. Does that resonate with you? Yes. The way forward is is um, slower than wh- how we came back this year. And s- by slower, I don't mean lowering expectations one thing at a time or two things at a time. We are, as you just said, we have to start with what's happened to us. And opportunities, bringing people in to talk to your staff with coffee and donuts or fruit, whatever you want to do. And let's all just sit down and take a deep breath. And you don't have to raise your hand and tell, you know, but rhetorically, have you paused and said, here's the great things that have happened to me because of the pandemic. And here are the challenges that have arisen in my life because of the pandemic. Because you will certainly find that there's things you write down on both sides of that paper. And for those of you who have the challenges list is longer, then you need to give yourself permission to heal and whatever that means for you. If we don't do that first with the adults, we we need to give them breathing space. Then we are never going to be able to get back to the rate of learning from our students that Americans have become accustomed to. I believe that that rate of learning will return, but I also don't think we can make it happen by testing and and accountability type things. Yeah, things that Nick Fisher calls legislatively easy measures. 
And that really, I think that our learning rate can actually increase if we adjust how we're doing things. And I, I think that it starts with recognizing what people have gone through, providing compassion and helping them become resilient. Because once you have resilience in place, it, it's not something that once it's there, then you're good for the rest of your life. But once you have that in place, you know how to overcome the challenges that you're facing. And those challenges are only going to increase as life goes on. Like if I knew what I would, the challenges I would experience as an adult, I would have said, I don't know about this whole adult thing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's the reality that everybody faces. Life is difficult. That's just the truth. And so teaching that resilience, helping people experience that at a young, young age is valuable for everybody involved. I think it's important that we all understand my definition of resilience because it's the best one. Honestly, <laughs> it's based on the folks deep in the research, respectfully, who have defined resilience in very long, complicated research-based ways. So what I have taken the liberty of doing is synthesizing all of that so we can use the word. Good. Resilience is the ability to adapt and overcome challenges. So folks, I am no prophet, but I've been on this planet longer than I like to count anymore. And I'm telling you, this is not a one and done. Life doesn't go that way. Our economy doesn't go that way. Our ecology doesn't go that way. Pandemic is now a part of all of us in some way, shape, or form, and I don't know when, this is going to happen again. Some other virus is going to send us home until we can get a handle on it and figure out how to respond to it. The way through that is to build resilient children. Because if you were to collect all of the, you know, raise your hand nationally, metaphorically, if you have pretty close to decent outcomes and attendance and health out of your staff and students this year, the 2021-2022 school year. And there's probably many, actually, administrators, supervisors, superintendents who would say, actually, we're doing pretty well. It hasn't been easy or fun, but we're doing pretty well. And if you ask them, what's the one thing you would use to describe the condition of your school environment before the pandemic hit, they would use words like resilient students and compassionate care. Yeah. So compassion with leadership, compassion with response to behavior, compassion builds resilience. Children know they're safe and then they try harder. Bottom line. And when you do that, then you have a community that comes through something like this. So don't, if you, if you crumbled, if your school district's hurting, if you're losing teachers faster than water through a sieve, then build, take the time now to build a compassionate and resilient school community so that if and when something else happens, you've got the two foundational pieces that will help you and your community survive it. And, and the beauty is, Melissa, is that you don't, it's never too late to start that, right? right? And if you have totally screwed up these last two years, you can just start tomorrow 
bringing in compassion, being compassionate yourself, modeling that, helping others see that, inviting others to be compassionate with you, saying, this doesn't sound like a very compassionate approach. Let's think about this a little bit deeper. Any of those things you can start right now. You can start today. If you're listening to this in 2032, you can start doing it today and you can make a difference. And that's the beauty of this is that it's never too late to start. Yes. And if you're a school leader, (laughs) then you're going to give yourself compassion last. And that's an epic, epic disaster. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. One of the things I actually wanted to do research on and couldn't because of all kinds of things that didn't have to do with the idea itself was the what are the components that a school leader needs to have in order to create a resilient school community? Mm-hmm. And taking from Dr. Theo Harris's work, the answer to that is you have to be a person who is deeply rooted in social justice and a person who can forgive yourself. So those of you, if you're a school leader in whatever capacity that is, and you're listening to this, if you're surviving this, it's because you already are a person who can forgive yourself and pick yourself up and start again. If you're really thinking about leaving the profession, if it's too much for you, Certainly, exterior factors are contributing to that. But interior motivation and resilience is what you would need if you want to try and stay. Mm -hmm. If you start the work for yourself and then invite the teachers to do it with you, that's the beginning of Resilient School Community. Yeah. It's not a program. It's not another whole book. It's not. It's it's that. Yeah. And and that is. simple, but it's not always easy to implement. And it's not easy to implement because we we have this belief that we we need to be more than we are when whatever we are is perfectly acceptable because we can't do anything about it anyway. <laughs> and so in the moment, you can change your future self by making good decisions and having compassion, taking doing self-care. But who you are right now, you can't do anything to change that. You can only change your future self and you can't change your present or your past self. And so it's all about making those decisions that lead you to making the right choice in the future. And this is to to take this off course just a little bit, because I think this is so important. This teacher shortage that, that we're experiencing now. Um, In my book, How to Be a Transformative Principal, I cited some research that said that we would be like 300,000 teachers short in 2022 based on projections from 2016, Melissa. So even before the pandemic, we were already going to be short. And so if if you have people, you want to hold on to those people. You want to keep them there with you. You want to help them learn the skills they need to be resilient themselves so they can, as you said, overcome and adapt from this situation. And so how? what advice would you give someone, uh, administrator, teacher, superintendent, whatever the level is, how to help other people be compassionate and develop their own resilience? I I personally, I started with the science of hope. And if you go to Google Scholar and put that in, you're going to get some peer reviewed 
not editorial, information about the science of hope. Very compact and whittled down, I can tell you that the science of hope is that when you say the word hope, you begin to feel what they defined as hope. More importantly, when you use the word hope, other people around you find hope. One of the things that I did for my staff with all of the PD time that was already in the calendar and we were all remote was I just did an entire afternoon on the science of hope and I shared it with the staff and I said to them, I challenge you, the strategy that we're going to work on until we get together next is how many times in a day can you use the word hope? And my staff, they were so awesome. Some of them, like one guy um, said, I put, you know, one of those smaller post-it notes on the side of my laptop. So he was staring at it all day and it just had the word hope. Things like, I hope you had a good night. I hope this is a good lesson. I have no idea what I'm doing, boys and girls. I hope this goes okay. (laughs) There's so many great ways to use the word hope. And certainly my observation of what happened to my staff is purely qualitative at this point because I didn't have a measurement device, but the perceived stress level of my entire staff and the students went down. And so you can go to Google Scholar, read a few articles, don't beat yourself up and you know feel like you need a doctorate in hope, although boy, that would be a wonderful thing. <laughs> To, to come up with a 45-minute informational and enjoyable opportunity for your staff. Uh, and, and I just created this thing called the science of happiness um, with, you know, slides and some of them are cartoons. And um, so then the next professional development day, we talked about laughter. Because there's all kinds of um, biological responses that happen in your body when you laugh, chuckle to deep belly laughing. Yeah. And if you've ever had one of those laughs, and I hope you have, where um, your stomach hurts and you're crying and you really want to stop laughing now because it hurts and you can't, think about how you, how your body felt after you finally became regulated. And it feels a lot like it does after you've um, done yoga or taken a walk or taken a run because laughing builds endorphins. Mm-hmm. laughing creates serotonin, which is the happy hormone, pardon the oversimplification of a co- complicated hormone, but you cannot have the stress response hormones, including cortisol and adrenaline flowing through your body. If your body's triggered serotonin. Mm-hmm. So honestly, if you're on a zoom with students or you're in a class with students and you feel like they are not with you, they're very worried about something you can't control. If you can get them to laugh, then their brain takes a break yeah. from the trauma, stress hormones. So there's science behind laughter and its ability to heal us all. So then I said, okay, so you have to laugh with your students. If, if you're a middle school or secondary teacher, the challenge is on you because you have to find a way to laugh once every 45 to an hour and a half. We have some block scheduling. And to the elementary school teachers, I said, you know, morning and afternoon, you have to be able to articulate that we all just started laughing. So teachers were telling jokes. Then, of course, what happened was the kids thought the teacher's jokes were terrible and the kids started writing. Now the kids were writing. Now they're writing jokes. Then the English teacher, who is one, I I wish I was ever as great a teacher as he is. He 
started like poetry and haiku and, and tying it into the rhythm of a joke. It was, it was genius. Mm-hmm. And we still, we're all back in the building now. And the sound you hear the most, if you stand in the hallway of my school is laughter. That's, that's amazing. And, and that is so hopeful to think of hearing laughter. And especially when the whole, the, the media landscape makes it feel like the world is coming to an end and yet you can still have hope. Now, I do want to say something about uh, the qualitative versus quantitative, because we we sometimes, especially in education, think that if it's not quantitative, then it's meaningless. And that is absolutely not the case. And I love this quote from The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. He says, but as Jim Collins, the research giant, once told me, qualitative field research is just as reliable as the quantitative kind, as long as clients and readers, or whoever you're talking to, he's writing a book, so that's what he's thinking, attest to its validity. And so if you, like, you don't have to do go out and do your own research and do all this stuff. If you say hope 10 times, and you see that you are more hopeful and the people around you are more hopeful, then keep doing it. That's good enough. And if you laugh and it makes you feel better, then keep doing it. And that is so powerful. And we can't ignore that because we sometimes think we need to be so science-based and so research-based. And the reality is we already know as educators what the right things to do are, and we just need to do them so often. That is the simple, easier answer that actually does work. And I'm a qualitative researcher, so I'm right there with you that it is real. And so many times I hear people telling me, well, my board of education is not going to want to hear that we're just going to laugh this year. That's our goal. (laughs) And I said, okay, so there are a lot of opportunities. Again, if you go into some of that research for the science of hope, there are five and six questions you can put in a quick survey monkey or Google survey and ask as baseline data. How often do you laugh a day? You know, how do you feel about life? Just straightforward questions. And then give it again eight months later after you've worked on hope and laughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's data. And mm-hmm. it's qualitative because you're asking people's opinions of themselves. But then you can say to your school board or the people you have to answer to, I have data that shows yeah. that this is improving outcomes. Yeah. So for those of you who feel like without data, you're never going to get permission to do it, with a little clever thinking, you can create qualitative data of your own and and be able to show an impact. Yeah, absolutely. I, people are like, oh, laughter, that's good. No, I need a real strategy. <laughs> and I'm like, hope and laughter are real strategies. Yeah. They totally are. Well, Melissa, this has been fantastic chatting with you. Thank you so much for being here. And I think uh, if if people leave with nothing else than talk about hope and laugh, I think we'll, the world will be a better place. So thank you so much. If you'd like to follow Melissa on Twitter, she is at Melissa Satan. And uh, traumasensitive.com is her website. Thank you so much for being part of Resilient Schools. Melissa, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I hope everybody out there takes good care of themselves. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B-E 
to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.